Hello, I'm Fenella Saunders, Managing Editor for American Scientist, the magazine of Sigma Xi, a scientific research society. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of American Scientist's Pizza Lunch Podcast. Dust is everywhere, including in outer space. Cosmic dust is the base matter from which forms all bodies in space, from planets to stars. David Lazzotti, a professor of physical and mathematical sciences at North Carolina State University, discusses his research on how a process called nucleation causes these nanoparticles of dust to form clusters and eventually clump into larger objects. Can you tell us what a nanoparticle is? So a nanoparticle can be thought of as a very small particle, but in reality, I'd like more to give a physical definition and is a particle that is so small that is very different from a bigger particle of the same material. Things that we cannot say, for example, is this particle liquid or solid? We can say if a glass of water is a liquid or solid, but if we take a water nanoparticle, we really cannot define those different states. Or we cannot really tell if it has a surface and what the surface tension is. So nanoparticles are so small that they are really uh, fundamentally different from the bigger version of the same material. Is there a difference between nanoparticles that we find here on Earth and ones that are found in outer space? There are some particles that we only find here on Earth and some that we only find in space, but uh, there are also a lot of similarities. Uh, for example, some of the nanoparticles that are called PAHs, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, we find them on Earth. They are typically a byproduct of combustion. Like if we look at the exhaust of any car, it's full of these uh, big molecules. And we also think that uh, we see them around stars in outer space. So there are differences, but there are also a lot of similarities. So in outer space, how are nanoparticles formed? Through a process that is called nucleation, and a typical place where we form nanoparticles in space is in the atmosphere of a massive star. So the material is coming from inside the star, so it's very hot, there is no solids, no liquids, just free atoms. As it expands around the star, it cools down and bigger compounds can start forming. And one can see that nanoparticles that are really, really small have a tendency to evaporate. But sometimes, randomly, they grow to a size that is big enough, which is typically around 20 to 100 atoms, where they become stable, and then they can keep on growing. And for example, the Earth and the Moon itself are thought to be nanoparticles that very successfully grew up to very large sizes. So how can we actually go about detecting such tiny particles in outer space? How do we see them? So we cannot see them directly, but one thing we can see is that they absorb really well radiation of short wavelength. So for example, ultraviolet radiation. If we look at a star, we see that the infrared coming, the infrared radiation coming from the star is almost unaffected. Half of the optical radiation is absorbed and 90% of the ultraviolet radiation is absorbed. And that tells us something about the size of the particles that are absorbing this radiation. Uh, And if uh, most of the absorption is in the uh, ultraviolet, it means that nanoparticles are responsible for that. 
in outer space when uh, you have these nanoparticles absorbing radiation from stars, are, they're retransmitting that radiation to, in order to, to show themselves to us on Earth. Can you describe how the distance from the star to the nanoparticle affects what we see? Nanoparticles are so small that when they absorb radiation that comes in form of tiny packets called photons that have a, a, a fixed amount of energy. So when a nanoparticle receives one photon, its temperature is increased by, by a big factor. And that's because the particle is so small that all that energy has to go in temperature. And that's different from a bigger particle that receives large amount of photons and is able to reprocess them fast enough to, to have a colder uniform temperature. So for example, if you take a big particle and you put it next to a star, it's going to warm up to a higher temperature. If you put it farther away from a star, it's going to be colder. If you take a nanoparticle, the temperature is going to be the same no matter how distant it is from the star because the temperature of the nanoparticle is not set by how many photons it receives but by the energy of each of the photons. And since that energy doesn't change with the distance from the source, then the temperature of a nanoparticle is going to be uniform independent on the distance. On Earth, when you're trying to grow nanoparticles, if you include more sort of the constituent atoms in the volume where they exist, you increase their density, you can grow them faster. Does that happen in outer space or is that process different? The process is the same. The main difference is that typically in outer space you start from a pure gas that has absolutely no seed nanoparticle whatsoever. In our labs, it is very hard to get to such a clean condition and so it, what typically happens is that you have some seed nanoparticles and instead of forming new ones, you preferentially grow the pre-existing uh, small ones. So what is the shape of the nanoparticles and the size of the stable clusters? How does that change the evaporation and growth rate of nanoparticles? This is not entirely understood. So we know that the shape has a big impact because the growth is facilitated if a nanoparticle has a lot of surface. So for example, if we take 100 atoms and we put them into a spherical or semi-spherical configuration, they are going to have very little surface exposed to growing uh, more atoms from the gas phase. If we put them in a very flat configuration, the surface is going to be much larger. The trade-off is that a spherical configuration has a higher binding energy, so it's more robust against self-evaporation. So it's not clear. Having more surface helps growing, but also helps evaporating and vice versa for a more spherical configuration. And which of the two processes wins, we don't know yet. So what have you been able to predict about the state of nanoparticles? How does the numerical calculation add to what you can show in a laboratory? So what we can do in the laboratory is typically study either the isolated atoms in a gas or relatively big particles of say a fraction of a micron size. What we hope the calculations are going to be able to do is to bridge these two constraints and so uh, being able to study compounds that are made of a few dozen particles. And the other advantage is that on a computer you decide 
what kind of atoms you have and what's the temperature and what's the density with absolute freedom. And in the lab, sometimes it's not easy to create, for example, a gas that is made of pure carbon-12 clusters. While the lab gives us, to some extent, the true physical answer, because it's what actually is happening, we cannot control the, the lab setting as well as we can control the computer simulation, which has some limitations, but it has a much cleaner starting point. Why is it important to understand the, the size and the growth rate of nanoparticles in outer space? What do they affect? Do they affect our ability to see stellar objects? Do they have impact on life on Earth? They don't have really a, a direct impact on life on Earth. However, they do have a lot of indirect impacts. For example, in order to create life, we need to have chemical processes to form more and more complex molecules. And it is believed that all the chemical or most of the chemical processes that are happening in space are on the surface of dust particles. So they, are, they don't happen in the gas phase, but you have these atoms that are absorbed on the surface of the dust particle, the, the atoms react there, form a more complex molecule that then is desorbed. Knowing how much surface you have available tells you how efficient these processes can be, and the smaller the particles you have, the more surface available you produce. So knowing how big they are uh, gives you an idea of how much real estate you have for chemical reactions in space. So does being able to see the size of the nanoparticles and knowing the distribution of sizes, does that, has that have an impact on our ability to sort of image what's going on in outer space? Yes, it does, because if we know the size of the nanoparticles that are obscuring sources, we can predict in which other wavelengths these same nanoparticles are not as effective in absorbing radiation. So. <laughs> Uh, we can predict, we, we see this star very badly in ultraviolet, what if we observe in optical or in the infrared? And if we know the size distribution we are dealing with, then we can make predictions and avoid pointing telescopes for mm -hmm. seeing nothing and have a reasonable prediction of whether we will be able to see something and accomplish our scientific goal or not. Thank you very much for coming in and speaking with us. It's been great talking with you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. This Pizza Lunch podcast was produced by Katie Lee Corder, web managing editor of American Scientist and Sigma's Eye. The music is Spot by Ardent Octopus, courtesy of Mebio's Music Alley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>